Welcome to the Fast Host Proactive Podcast, Spill the IT. Each episode, we'll sit down with some of the amazing proactive team and chat through their experiences of the ups and downs of IT infrastructure management in small businesses. There's always plenty to chat about. CJ, you and I were talking earlier about multifactorial authentication and some of the nightmares you've seen or within businesses that have been affected by that. Do you want to talk just a little bit about that? Because that's sort of a bit of a real thing, isn't it? That sometimes people can get hassled and keep on being hassled and they think, oh my God, yes, I'll just, I'll just approve it. And actually it's malware or it's people acting in an appropriate way. Yeah, so I mean, multifactorial authentication is one of a suite of tools that you can use to help keep your security profile in a positive stance. It helps against a lot of things such as your generic phishing, typical social engineering and so forth, because it's something you have. So whenever we talk about authenticating a user, so making sure that, hey, this is the person you're saying that you are, you tend to work on two aspects. One is something you know, which is typically a password, and something you have, which is multi-factor authentication. Now, that can be an app on your phone. It could be the fact that you've just received an SMS message, all of these kind of things. But once again, we need to not get complacent. I've spoken to some people who say like, oh, well, now I've got multi-factor authentication. I'm not worried about how strong my password is. It's like, okay, right. No, 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 no. This is part of a suite of tools. And you can't get to a point whereby you're becoming complacent of going, I've got multi-factor authentication. I'm okay. I'm never going to get hacked. And again, it's a story Gary and I were talking about earlier of instances whereby people have been overloaded by malicious actors, whereby they've sent hundreds of SMS messages, basically reporting to be like just a failure within the the multi-factor authentication schema. And it gets to the point whereby people are going, yes, yes, okay, fine, click, 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 click. And again, if the rest of your security tool set is not up to scratch, being lulled into that false sense of security. I think we were talking about it um, previously about this sort of Amazon experience. We as humans, we've been talking about the human thing, haven't we? We as human, we just, we feel protected. If there's that multi-authentication and you're going through those procedures, you just think, oh yeah, I'm covered, I'm fine, that works. Is there a complacency? There can be, and this is really important. It's like, again, you're just staying on top of that mindset of making sure that, yes, you don't sacrifice any part of your security tool set because one other part of it is now looking better and is looking improved. So certainly for myself, I use multi-factor authentication wherever I can because it's an extra part of my armory, right? But that doesn't mean that, yes, I go that way. It's okay. I can just choose a eight-character password, getting into the whole subject. I mean, that's a podcast in itself talking about password security <laughs> and strength and so forth. But yes, it's something I would certainly encourage anybody who's listening that if you've got a service that provides the ability to use multi-factor authentication, then yeah, use it where appropriate. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, if it's if it's not something whereby you even care whether or not, you know, if it's your running app and it's got no sensitive data on it or whatever and it's just too much of a pain every time you want to go for a run that you have to get your phone out to put your then don't worry about it. But for certainly anything with sensitive or destructive data, something which can cause harm to you, make sure it's there. Okay, Dan, that's the next subject for your scenario planning. Mm. That's the unity, and that could be quite a good thing. So with the attack surface of so many organizations, IT infrastructure increasing more and more, would we feel that is the cloud better for security? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, <laughs> better is a strong word, right? <laughs> um, I, I think it's different. Okay. Uh, and uh, I think there are a number of factors behind that. You know, we spoke about what a, what should be keeping IT managers awake at night, and I think you know some of that is how do people keep up 
with trends. And, and one of the things that a managed cloud service can do is it can build that level of expertise and security focus into an organization that doesn't have the ability to resource that internally. To quote the Avengers, you know, the Avengers may have a Hulk, but we have a CJ. Uh, And in turn, then so do all of our clients, where we can bring those best practices. We can bring that 20 plus years each of experience and lessons learned often painfully to organizations that perhaps don't have that capability in-house and provide that expertise. It's exactly that, right? I mean, to be honest, certainly if you're if you're a business that's running an e-commerce website and you've got, let's say, six servers with us, six instances, and you probably can't afford to have a whole team of security professionals on your premises running all of this for you. You probably don't have the time or energy to get ISO 27001 certified. We can bring all of that to the table because, you know, we're big enough, something we live and breathe, we've got the experience in it. So cloud in itself as a technology is no better, no worse than an on-premise solution or a, or a co-location solution, whatever. But because of the very nature of our teams here and the business that we run, we're bringing that expertise and that experience with it. So do you think it's equally good for retail? So people who are transacting retail online and business as well, do we think there's some parallels there between it's just as important for business, B2B businesses, as opposed to B2C? So the security is just as important for both types of businesses? I mean, you're talking to a security professional. I mean, security <laughs> is, is just as important for everybody, regardless yeah. of what segment you're in or what it is you're doing. And again, part of this just comes down to be aware... There is financial cost in being secure, but the financial cost of not being secure can be so much more, and it's just not worth the risk. I think going back to the B2B and the, and the B2C stuff, I think, I think they're both massive, massive topics. Mm. I think with the B2C businesses, you know, we've seen horror stories where individuals' personal data has been leaked by vendors online, credit card details, addresses, all that kind of stuff. But I think also when you're looking at B2B, a great number of the security accreditations take into consideration security of your supply chain. So it's not just how secure are you, it's how secure are the people that you're then procuring services from. Mm. And so, you know, that, that comes into it as a, as a big factor as well. Dan, I can see you're nodding there as well in relation to what Gary's saying. What are you thinking? Cloud as an infrastructure, no better, no worse. Managed cloud better because of resourcing skills and just being able to do things at scale, right, as well. But then I was also thinking about this from a software perspective as well. So a lot of the cloud platform providers have certain security features baked in. Ours certainly does, good example, DDoS protection right out the box. That, that's a huge benefit because that's something that's quite quite expensive for individuals to kind of put in. But I think also as the kind of as the cloud infrastructure develops, more use of things like containerization. There are more services and more tools coming out there to allow users, whether that's kind of developers or, or kind of those in, more in the B two B space, to actually get at a level of assurance around the security from some of those kind of cloud components that they're using. 
And this is where the, the cloud technologies, it doesn't solve all of the problems, but it simplifies some aspects around availability. It simplifies some aspects around your backups. It simplifies some aspects around your integrity of your data because of the very nature of how cloud is. So it's, it just simplifies some of those topics for us. It doesn't solve them, but it means we can solve them in an easier way than we might have otherwise done with a more traditional solution. Also, I mean, going back to the availability topic, I mean, a cloud-based solution, that scalability that, that Dan's talking around, so horizontally scaling, it's like, if your business comes to us and all we need to provide you with is a really simple, straightforward three-service solution for, for something, and your business takes off because you suddenly got on Dragon's Den or whatever it may well be, and you go, we need to get this big right now, then cloud gives us that ability to make sure your content will stay available and it won't suddenly just drown in a, in, a, in a sea of horribleness. Yeah, you can imagine that. I've never really thought about it because you see businesses grow just on the fact that they've been on Dragon's mm. Den. Yeah, whether they've won or not. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, people just collar on whether they got invested in or not and, and away they go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There used to be a phenomenon when I was working um, actually here at Farsos a while ago, which was the breakfast radio factor. <laughs> And uh, we saw it happen a number of times where a particular website was mentioned on morning breakfast. And you could see the traffic uh, <laughs> hit that particular yeah, server within minutes. Yeah. You know, so having you know, that ability to scale quick mm. is absolutely essential. Yeah. And that's where the cloud wins, right? Because, I mean, you know, let's turn the clock back 15 years or whatever. I mean, both of us worked in the, in the sort of mm. similar type of thing. And it's like, if you needed to scale something out then, you had to get a bunch of engineers, go and get some physical hardware, go and install an OS on it. Okay, configure the OS. I mean, we're talking hours already here. Whereas with the cloud, Gary's going to go and click a couple of buttons, spin some new infrastructure up, yeah, it's a much quicker process. And the great thing about it is you, you know that that layer of security within that is a given. You can scale it, the security's there, and, you know, we're off. That, that's, that's the big piece, right? So when you need to scale and you need to scale fast, there is a risk that doing that at speed, at pace, is going to introduce human error. It may compromise security. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So the way we design solutions here is we have as much of that deployment process automated as possible. So we then have the ability to deploy additional infrastructure at massive speed, but retain all of the security hardening that was put in place on the very first server. So when we deploy you know, server 30, that will be the same as server 1, 2, three, four, because we put that effort at the beginning to make sure that we've got that layer of automation. Cut pace, cut pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this is where software really helps us out, right? So what we're talking about here is orchestration and configuration management. They're two really, really important topics. And as Gary is saying, it's, it's taking that human error out of it and just making sure that, you know, we know that this is going to be deployed in a set state and that set state is good because we've already deployed 29 servers to the same set state. That's where, you know, uh, I think complacency comes in as well, right? So, you know, you do a thing every single day for 30 days, you stop thinking about that thing, okay? You know, most people don't have to think about breathing. I, I know a few that do. But what you repeat becomes automatic, and that's where these mistakes can fit in. Yeah, so let's take ourselves back, and we were talking a little bit earlier when we were about B2B. So there's been a huge, huge explosion, as we've seen during COVID, of hybrid working. 
How's that affected security within that arena? And what challenges is that giving IT right now with that sort of explosion of hybrid working? Yeah, so it's, it's been a big challenge. That's politely put. Yes, <laughs> as polite as I'm going to get. Um, part of that is because what we're taking is a bunch of people who used to be in a trusted environment. So typically your office environment, you've got your network locked down, you've given people their laptops, they've got a monitor and the keyboard and mouse, they plug in, and you've provided all of that, and you're fairly confident about it. You're also fairly confident that whilst people that are there at work, that they're getting on with their day-to-day work and so forth. You're taking those people out, and you're giving them their kit, and they're taking it home and plugging it into their home network. Now, as a business, you have no way of knowing what they're running on their network at home. They, they could be running absolutely anything. So you're taking some of that certainty away from your own securities, typically about being certain of things. They could be plugging anything from a USB device from an untrusted source into their, into their system, and that could be doing anything. There's certainly reports of that type of thing happening. Added on to all of that, you're also suddenly opening up your business and allowing access from outside your business in, which you may or may not have done beforehand. And not only are you allowing that, you're allowing it to far more people. So you're increasing your potential scope for attack, and you're also at the same time introducing a bunch of untrusted and unknown things to your network. So many variables. Absolutely. So it's, it's an absolute minefield, and it's something that you need to stay on top of while still allowing these things to happen. We need to allow people to be able to work from home. You know, COVID has taught us this 100%. But you need to make sure that you have the right processes, you have the right education, you have the right everything about allowing those users to do so. And this this is one thing, going back to something else we were talking about before, it's not just about safeguarding your business and making sure you're saying it's about safeguarding your employees. You give them the tools to make sure that they are protected and safe in themselves. And this ties back into this conversation I've had before, whereby when somebody leaves this company, we make sure that we revoke their accounts, their credentials, and all this kind of stuff. And I remember a few years ago, somebody saying to me, it's like, well, do we have to do it straight away? I trust the employee. They're not going to do anything bad. It's like, we have to do this straight away because if we don't, we're not protecting that employee. If those account details get compromised and they log on to our systems with their original details, the first thing we're going to do is point a finger at this ex-employee. We're going to be going and knocking on their door saying, why did you do this? If we revoke those credentials now, that employee is safe. We won't have any of these issues of finger pointing or anything else like that. I think for me, the big thing with security is that balance that CJ's just spoken about. The most secure IT system is one that's switched off and locked in a small room somewhere. However, it doesn't function terribly well. You've got to have the ability to allow people to to, to work. And with hybrid working, that absolutely has been the challenge, is, is how do you enable people to fulfill their day-to-day functions whilst staying secure. And for most organisations, that's been a shift of going from supporting one to two offices to supporting 100 offices because each of your employees' homes becomes part of your infrastructure, right? And where they might log on outside of home as well. That must be a big concern as well. Exactly that. And it's, you know, for me, it's a little bit like driving, right? You can be awesome you can be an awesome driver you can be super safe you can have done you know your advanced motoring what you've got to worry about is everybody else on the road and then that becomes more so the case in you know home environment if, if you are living in a shared accommodation it's not just you need to worry about it, it's the other people there or 
what are my kids doing on my home network? You know, being tempted into downloading to enhance their gaming experience, for example. And that then becomes a problem for the organization as well. I think one of the interesting things I saw at the early stages of the pandemic was how the location for the origin of junk email shifted. So one of the things that we saw at the start was the move from I suppose you're more stereotypical, Eastern Europe, China, Russia, the, you know, the established IT bad guys to being European countries. So the UK became a big origin point for junk email. Spain, Italy, you know, a lot of countries that historically you wouldn't associate with that kind of activity became the origins because they'd had to poke holes in infrastructure to enable people to work. Using the driving analogy, I mean, as a security professional, there's a wonderful joke I remember from many, many years ago talking about how a woman was sat at home and heard on the radio that there was somebody driving the wrong way down a busy motorway. So she knows that um, her other half is on the way back from work. So it rings about and says, um, just be careful. There, there's somebody driving the wrong way down the motorway. And the response going, it's not just one, there's hundreds of them. And we had exactly that same kind of experience of like just this sudden explosion of all of this going on everywhere around. And as a security professional, suddenly it just felt like, yeah, there's a lot going on here that we need to suddenly take care of. Mm. So the current IT protection mechanisms, are they up to speed? Are they up to this? Are we getting too many players in the market? What do we think? It's constantly changing. Mm. And if I answer that question now, it'll be wrong by the time we go out on air. <laughs> so everything is changing. And I think it's, it's again, we're just talking about awareness here, right? Yeah, so sure. again, another old adage, I will not say that our business is 100% guaranteed to be secure against attackers. It's, nobody can say that. It's the same as you can't say nobody can steal my car. But what you can do is take the right precautions to make sure that other people's cars are more attractive to go and steal and all this kind of stuff. So you make sure, of course, you lock your car, you've got a mobiliser, you store it in a secure place, all this kind of stuff. And again, we're constantly evolving what sort of defence mechanisms we're keeping in place against the bad guys and against human error just on our internal side as well. But all of that is constantly changing as with the technologies that are coming out as well. Ben? I think for me, my big wish in terms of things that are going to change is around the frameworks uh, and the best practices. You know, we, we've, we've talked about ISO 27001, we've talked about Cyber Essentials, Cyber Essentials Plus. I think the ongoing maturity of those frameworks, and, and not just in terms of the nuts and bolts about them telling you what to do, but actually making them accessible for small to medium business will help raise the bar in terms of um, security and prevention of nasty things happening to very nice people that are just trying to run their business. <laughs> so I guess with skills shortages and human error and the evolution of technology, I think what I'm getting from you is, unfortunately, you can't say to IT managers that they can still get a good night's sleep. There's still going to be the time when the phone rings, isn't there? And that's going to be a constant. That's just a, a thing of doing the job. Absolutely. And I mean, part of that is that We're also never sure what the next breakthrough, either good or bad, is going to be. I mean, you know, we briefly talked about um, AI as a a, a concept, and that's going to change the landscape. We get into things like quantum computing. That massively changes some of the technologies and certainly some of the the algorithms we use in in security and keeping data secret between two sets of people. We don't know. Tomorrow, something could come along, and there could be a discovery, and me and Gary are going to spend the next month trying to make sure that all of the right systems are now up to date with the current protocol. All of this could change tomorrow, or we could go for another month and nothing changes. So 
it's going to be really difficult to get that good quality night's sleep. Um, sorry, IT managers. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but hopefully some of the stuff and the expertise we can bring can at least mean that you get a bit of a doze. Uh, nice. <laughs> I, I, think, I think, you know, it's not paranoia. They are after you is quite an appropriate phrase to use. But I think there's another one which is equally as important, and that's become comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, what we don't want to do is say, lie awake at night, sweating because bad things are going to happen. We, we have to get to a point, both from a technological uh, perspective uh, and a human-slash-process perspective, where we are comfortable in the fact that if the bad thing happens we have the ability to survive that bad thing. Yeah. And we've done everything possible about it, right? I mean, you know, we, we get them down into data security. What are we going to do if a meteor strikes the building? You know, now again, we, we actually have this kind of stuff in some of our policies and process and, and when, when part, we do... Part of Dan's scenario planning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but conversely, we've got bigger things to worry about if a meteorite yeah. takes out the data centre, right? So that there's a certain amount you need to worry and you need to document things, but I don't lie awake at night worrying if a meteorite's going to hit the data centre. Sure. Well, guys, that's been fascinating. And it's been really good to talk about all things security. Again, we could probably sit here for another couple of hours just sort of chewing stuff over. But I think it's been really good to sort of get that perspective from all of you. So thank you for all your time. So that's a wrap for this week's Fast Host Proactive podcast on security. And I hope you've all, or everyone out there that's listens has found the subject of interest and you all feel a little bit more informed. What's coming up next, I hear you ask? Well, we're all going to be talking about uh, deciphering infrastructure metrics and how much data do we actually need and is it all important? So Dan, Gary and CJ, thanks very much for your time this morning. And um, we'll see you all again in a month's time. Stay secure. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or visit proactive.fasthost.co.uk for more info. See you next time.